Welcome to the Old Time Radio Hour on Sid Valley Radio. This is Sid Valley Radio. This week on the Old Time Radio Hour, we'll be listening to a half-hour crime show, followed by a 30-minute drama program. So, just sit back and relax. As we revisit the truly golden age of radio. Hello, I hope I haven't kept you waiting. Yes, this is the crime club. I'm the librarian. Cupid can be deadly. Yes, we have that story for you. Come right over. chair by the window. Comfortable? The manuscript is on this shelf. Here it is. Cupid can be deadly. The very unusual story of a dream that was made of the stuff that killed. Let's look at it under the reading lamp. The house in the hills of Westchester was big and rambling, like a medieval castle. And it was owned by the beautiful and temperamental Linda Barry, the celebrated actress. It was late Saturday night, and Paul Palmer, a Broadway columnist and one of the weekend guests, came quickly down the stairs. And as he made the right angle turn toward the library, he met Professor Caldwell, a psychologist, and another one of the guests. Oh, excuse me, Mr. Palmer, I didn't hear you coming. I walk on my toes. Have you seen Toby? Toby? Miss Randolph. Oh, yes. Uh, No, I haven't seen her in quite a while. Uh, Where can that girl be? Have you looked in her room? Just now. Well, I'm going out for a drive with Sam Winslow. That phony private detective? I look around outside if I should see Miss Randolph. Yeah, tell her about me. Well, of course. In the meantime, you might ask Miss Barry. Where is she? In the library. Now, if you don't mind. I don't. Thank you. I asked Mr. Winslow to be ready in ten minutes. It's almost that now. Well, good luck, Mr. Palmer. (sighs) Why don't I stay home for a change? Paul. Uh, Linda, have you seen... Yes? What's the idea of the gun? You'll find out. Ah, the lady's mad. You've got no idea how mad, honey. You're sizzling. Don't be clever. I can't help it. Give me the gun. No. Give it to me. Uh, you can sizzle without it. You had no right to do that, Paul. Oh, it's done. Shall we go before an arbitration board? You... You keyhole peeper. <laughs> oh. Oh, a big one for my column. Linda Berry slaps a guest in her own house. And who was that guest? Your Broadway reporter. That ought to make me the toast of the world. You can go home now, anytime you want. Wait a minute. I haven't got time. We'll give it to you. Who was going to get that bullet? Take your hand off that door, Paul. Was it going to be your manager and half a heartthrob, Wally Brooks? Paul? Ah, then it was for the other half a heartthrob, Sam Winslow. No. You'll have to suck me again, honey. You're not leaving this room until... Oh, the lady's smiling. Oh, you're such a fool. Don't tell the guys in the other papers. That bullet was for your girlfriend, Toby Randolph. It's 
no use trying to talk me out of it, Wally. I'm going to get away from this place as soon as I can find Paul. All right, Toby, you want to go, you can go, but why? I don't like it here. Meaning me? <laughs> no. The house? No. Professor Caldwell's been lecturing you about the mine. He doesn't bother me, Wally. Then it must be on account of Sam Winslow. Well... That no good four-flutcher, I... not the reason, Wally. Oh? I can handle him. Hmm. Say, you're not running away from Linda, are you? I am. But why? I don't like the way she creeps up on me. That's too bad, honey. Huh? See what I mean? Walking in the garden, arm in arm. What a rosy picture. What's this all about, Linda? I'll bet you couldn't find such a beautiful setting anywhere. Even the moon is perfect tonight. What on earth are you talking about? Excuse me, Wally. I'm not sticking around to find you're out. You're sticking around, Toby. Hey! And you're going to find out how I really feel about you. Let go of my hair! Linda! You're not going to leave this place alive! Oh, let's go of her, Linda! You take out of this, Wally! Oh, get her out of my hair! She's killing me! I said let go of her, Linda! Oh, let go! You're breaking my fingers! Oh, I'll break them, Linda, if you don't get your hands off. All right, all right, all right, all right. Let go of me. Now! Oh, thanks, Wally. Now I'll give her a sample of my brand. No, you don't. But she got me from behind. I don't care how she got you. But I want to know why. Well, Linda, why? Nobody's making a fool out of me. Nobody has to. What's that? That's enough. Just let me get at her. I'll show her how to pull hair. Stop it. That goes for both of you. Listen, Wally, any time we need a referee... Shut up, Toby. And stand over by that tree. What about her? I'll take care of her. All right, Linda. How was Toby making a fool out of you? She wouldn't leave you alone. What? From the minute she got here with Paul, she's been trying to get her claws into you. And you left. Are you nuts? You didn't do a thing to stop her. I've been watching you. Both of you. You are nuts. It took you a long time to find out, Wally. Shut up, Toby. Stay that way until I got this thing settled. Now, Linda, since when do I have to sign the book every time I look at another girl? Mm-hmm. If you only look. There's nothing between Toby and me. She's got Paul, and from what I know, she's completely satisfied. Am I right, Toby? You're right. Yeah. But you are not completely satisfied with me, Linda, are you? I never said I was. Well, you never had to. We've been engaged for exactly one year. How many protégés have you had in that year? Don't be low, dear. Five. And now it's that cheap, chiseling Sam Winslow, a private detective, the worst of the lot. I like to help people. Sure, but why are they always men? Coincidence. Oh, cut it out, will you? You're not talking to someone behind a bib? Darling... I didn't know you were jealous. I'm not. I've never said a thing to you. Third party here. Can we wait? No, I don't care who's listening. I'm fed up and I'm... Yes? Yes. And you can get yourself another manager, too. The less I see of you, the better. You're raving. Uh, We'll see about that. Come on, Toby. Let's find Paul and get out of here. I'm on our way. Just a minute, Wally. You're not walking out on me. Save your breath. I said you're not, dear. Listen. When there's any air to be given, I give it. And, Wally, I'm not giving you the air yet. You don't seem to get the idea, Linda. I happen to like you, darling. Enough to marry you tomorrow. (laughs) You either marry me tomorrow or you go to prison. Uh, What's that? I'll repeat it for you. Slowly. What have you got up your sleeve? The ace of trumps, and it's been there for a long time. Okay. Show it. You're a thief, Wally. What? What? And I'm the only one who could keep you out of jail. You'd better start explaining, Linda. All right. If you don't mind the crowd. Well, let Toby hear it. You've been forging my name to checks. Have I? $70,000 worth. You know my signature, and you've been doing a perfect job. Where are those checks? 
You see them in court. I see them now. Where are they, Linda? Oh, stop it. You're twisting my arm. Come on, baby, produce. You'll never get them, Wally. You could kill me, but you'll never get those checks. time, Professor. What kept you? I didn't realize you were waiting, Mr. Winslow. You said ten minutes, didn't we? I've been sitting in his car for twenty. I'm sorry, but I met Mr. Palmer, and he was agitated about the disappearance of his lady friend, so I Tried thought... some psychology. Well, huh? not, not quite. I looked around for her just to be helpful. You're the type, aren't you? Well... Yeah. Okay, let's go for that drive. Mr. Winslow, would you mind if we didn't? What's the idea? Well, it's rather late, and I can talk to you here just as well. Okay. It's about... Well, I think you know. Me and Linda? Yes. You don't approve? Miss Barry is my patient. Her welfare is my concern. I'm not good for it, huh? I think you ought to leave at once. <laughs> I'm sorry. I was only trying to relieve a delicate situation. Miss Barry and Mr. Brooks are engaged to be married. I read that in Paul Palmer's column a year ago. They should be married, Mr. Winslow. But as long as you're in the picture... Stop right there, pal. If Linda wants to wash me out, she can do it any time. Well... The fact is, she wants me in. So uh, that's where I stay. Would you marry her? <laughs> you won't. You don't love her. No, I'm not exactly indifferent to her charms, Professor. She has a lot of money. Now you catch on fast, don't you? Suppose I were to tell her that. You want to live, don't you? Mr. Winslow, are you... You want to go right on psychologizing dames for big fat fees? You can't do that when you're dead. You're not threatening me, young man. I know Miss Barry has given you money. And I know that she's made you the beneficiary of one of her largest life insurance policies. You know a lot, pal. I also know that you've been poisoning her mind against Mr. Brooks. But you'll never get another chance. When I get through telling Miss Barry the truth about you... Nice speech, Professor. Now take a deep breath. What? Hold it. Hold it. It might have to last you a lifetime. <laughs> Here's your room, Toby. Good night. I'll see you in the morning. Paul, I don't know why I listened to you. After what Linda said and did to me tonight... She's a crackpot, but she's loaded with material. At least two columns out of one weekend. All right. But I don't like the idea of sleeping in her house. <laughs> Good night, sweetheart. Pleasant dreams. What's the matter to Don't ask me now. Just let me in. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I'm getting my bathroom. Won't you please hurry? I'm doing the best I can. Even getting into a bathrobe takes time. All right. Oh, Paul, darling. What's the matter? I had the most awful dream. What? I dreamed I was Cupid riding a black horse. Toby, do you realize it's only five o'clock in the morning? I couldn't sleep a wink after that. Every time I closed my eyes, there was that black horse. And Linda. Oh, my aching life. It was terrible. I was sitting on the horse and I kept shooting arrows into her heart. Yeah, yeah. Poisoned arrows. Every time I took one out of the quiver, I dipped it into a bottle of cyanide that was tied around the horse's neck. Go, go back to bed, sugar. What you need is some sleep. But I can't. Darling. Oh, I... you've got to help me. <sighs> Let's go down to the living room. But, honey, why? That's where the dream took place. You expect to find a black horse down there? I don't know what I expect to find. 
But if you don't come with me... Get that look out of your eyes, Angel. Paul, I'm desperate. I've never been so upset before. Now, take my arm, Cupid. We're off to catch a dream. I wouldn't bother you ordinarily. <laughs> Sometimes I wish you would. Hunting we will go. Hunting we will go. Uh, watch your step the stairs. Thanks. If I could only be as calm as you. My arm would feel fine. Hmm? You're digging your nails into it, and it's not even responsible for your dream. I'm sorry. Huh? I'll bet you are. But I am. You never like this arm anyway. Now, tell me the truth. Paul, that light. Where? Under the living room door. Okay, okay. So you're crazy about my arm. Stay here. Oh. Do you want to get knocked down by a horse? Going with you. <gasps> Good Lord. Linda, on the floor, with an arrow in her chest. <laughs> killed her, Paul. Don't try to tell me I didn't. You didn't. Oh, what's the use? You'd say anything to make me feel good. Now, listen, honey. I'm a killer, and no amount of coaxing is going to convince me that I'm not. But dreams don't make murderers. How do you know I was dreaming? You said so. Maybe that's what I thought, but actually... Goodbye, Paul. It's been nice knowing you. Where are you going? The police will have to know about this, and I'm going to phone them. No, you're not. Put it down, Toby. I've got to give myself up. Okay, then I'll put it down. Sorry. Your hand was in the way. Now... You'll do me one favor. Don't tell anyone about your dream. We're going to have the police in on this, aren't we? Sure, but not until I've got you straightened out. Come on. Where? Out for a walk. Let somebody else find... Good morning. Huh? Ah, Professor Caldwell. Up bright and early, aren't we? I always say there's nothing like the country air to... Good heavens. Behind you, Miss Barry. We found her that way. An arrow in her chest. Her pulse... Mr. Palmer, do you realize she's been murdered? I'm beginning to. Who did this? We don't know. I did, Professor. Toby, you, Miss Randolph. You'd better send for the police. I'll tell them everything. Well, as long as you've gone this far, why not tell it to Professor Caldwell? He's a psychologist. Is this a problem in psychology? She had a dream. It was more than that, Paul. I saw the whole thing. The living room, Linda, and I was shooting arrows into her heart. But you were riding on a black horse. Professor, do you see a black horse in this room? Very, very interesting. She was also dressed up as Cupid. She was? Forget it. Hmm. Miss Randolph, you had a dream in which you saw yourself as Cupid murdering Miss Barry? So I thought. But there was no romantic conflict between you and Miss Barry? You said there wasn't. Toby, for Pete's sake. Let her talk, Mr. Palmer. She'll hang herself. We'll see about that. Go on, Miss Randolph. Last night, Linda accused me of trying to take Wally Brooks away from her. We had a hair-pulling match. Amazing. The most unusual dream coincidence I've ever heard of. Professor! Don't be alarmed, Mr. Palmer. This young lady is quite innocent. You mean it couldn't have happened as I told it? Certainly not. You're not Cupid and there's no horse. But... Yes? Well, on the other hand, Miss Barry is dead. There is an arrow through her heart. This young lady is quite innocent. You mean it couldn't have happened as I told it? Certainly not. You're not Cupid and there's no horse. But... Yes? Well, on the other hand, Miss Barry is dead. There is an arrow through her heart. That can only mean that if you're guilty, Miss Randolph, then you must be a somnambulist. Oh, good Lord. But not Toby. Paul, as a child, I used to walk in my sleep regularly. You don't care what you do to yourself. Listen, Professor, I've got an idea. I'm afraid we need one, Mr. Palmer. If you hypnotized Toby, we could really find out what she did last night, couldn't we? We could. All right. Then hypnotize. Sit down, Toby. We're going to work. But, Paul, I told you... I want to know the truth. 
And I've got it. You mean I don't have to be hypnotized? No. All you've got to do is remember what happened after Linda pulled your hair last night. She... She... What you told me just before you went to your room. Wally said he was through, and she... Of course. She accused Wally of forging her name to checks. Mr. Palmer, do you realize what you're saying? I'm saying what Toby said Linda said. And she was there. Come on. Well, ask Wally. Don't uh, knock yourselves out, Kitty. Sam. Yeah. I'll bet she never expected to die that way off stage. How long have you been here, Sam? Not long enough to embarrass anybody. Why? What made you come down? It's only six o'clock. I get restless sometimes. Why? You've got a reputation for waking up with a dinner bell. Oh. You think it was me, huh? It could have been, Mr. Winslow. Ah, we're going to hear from the professor. Mr. Palmer, this man is the beneficiary of a $50,000 insurance policy taken out by Miss Barry. Well, I'll be... Not anymore, Toby. Okay, Sam. You tell me. I uh, had influence with the babe. I was her type. That's not telling me, pal. She hired me to find out where a dough was going. Checks she didn't remember signing. Then she took a shine to me. What was I going to do? Now, listen, That's Sam. exactly what I did. After I found out who was signing those checks with Linda's Johanna Hancock. It was her boyfriend, Wally Brooks. I know all about that. Great. Now, here's something you don't know. Where's Wally? What? His room's next to mine. I heard him going out about ten minutes ago. That's what woke me up. That's ridiculous. Mr. Brooks has a car in the garage, and we heard no car. There it is, Professor. <laughs> Well, what do you say, Paul? They'll send for the police. They know all the answers. Oh, well, how about some breakfast, Toby? No, thanks, Paul. It'll be an hour before we hit New York, and I... Oh, look, there's a nice quiet place just around the next intersection. The food's good. I don't feel like eating, Paul. What's the matter with you? Why didn't you let me tell the police about my dream? Oh, it's that dream again. I killed Linda. Listen, honey, the police know how to analyze a crime, and they suspect Wallace. Just because he disappeared. He didn't take a thing that belonged to him, not even his socks. It doesn't prove he's a murderer. He's been forging Linda's name to checks, and she found him out. He wouldn't have killed her for that. She was ready to marry now, him. Now, listen, honey. I won't. Wally's not a killer. And I don't believe he was ever a thief. But the police found the checks. Oh, what's the use? made up your mind to cheat the law and you don't care who dies as long as it isn't me. You don't know what you're talking about. And I'm going to prove it once and for all. If you only could. We'll turn around and then we'll hit right for police headquarters. Why? In your dream, Cupid was dipping the arrows into a bottle of cyanide. Yes? So far, there's been no mention of cyanide by the police or the coroner. I'm going to insist on a lab test of the arrow point. Fair enough. Yeah. But while that's being done, Angel, you keep your mouth shut about that dream. Understand? That's a very unusual request, Mr. Palmer. I'm an unusual guy, Captain. Yeah? You read my column? Sometimes. Then you want to know how I work. I do a thorough job on everything and everybody. Yeah? Captain, it wouldn't take much of your time to do a lab test on that arrow. Please. Why should you be interested, Miss Randolph? I... Well, you see... Frankly, I don't. Paul, I'm going to tell him. Toby. I can't live with it anymore. I've got to talk. You've done too much already. Let's get out of here. Now, wait a minute. She's got to talk, and I'm here to listen. Go ahead, lady. I think I killed Linda Berry. Uh-huh. Paul and Professor Caldwell have been trying to tell me I couldn't have done it. But I know different. Sure. Here's a pencil and some paper. You write it down. Nothing doing, Captain. Now, you stay out of this, Mr. Palmer. But you don't understand. You can't take a confession from her. You wait outside. Oh, for Pete's sake, why don't you listen? Outside, mister. All right. But you'll never convict her. 
She claims there was cyanide on the tip of the arrow. There was. What? Here's the coroner's report. You want to read it? Good Lord, but she only dreamed about it. Now, listen, you. If you make one more attempt to influence this lady, I'll... I've got to use that phone. Are you getting out of here? Yes, yes, but let me call Professor Caldwell, the psychologist. He's an expert on dreams. Call him from the other room. Okay. But hold up that confession until he gets here, will you? The other room, mister. Now, here's the door. Thanks for the assist, Captain. I never would have made it without your help. Now, Professor Caldwell, yes? this is Paul Palmer. Oh, Mr. Palmer, I'm so glad you phoned. How soon can you get here? No, I can't. I want you but to... you must. Mr. Brooks came in a few minutes ago. What? And without a word of warning, he began to beat up Mr. Winslow. If you don't get out here as soon as you can, there'll be another murder in this house. Wally, he came back. Please, Mr. Palmer, as soon as you can. It'll take me at least 15 minutes. That won't do any good. It'll have to. Now, listen, Professor, don't let Wally get away. I wanted to meet a certain captain of the police with a first-hand story of why he disappeared. you, Mr. Palmer? It's me, Professor. Where's Wally? You said you'd be here in 15 minutes. It's more than half an hour since you I had a flat. Where's Wally Brooks? We took him up to his room about a half an hour ago. You... You took him up? He means we dragged him up. Sam, what are you doing on your feet? (laughs) But, Professor, you told me... It was phenomenal, Mr. Palmer. I went back to the living room after I spoke to you, and there was... I I couldn't believe it. Yeah, I was standing, and Wally wasn't. But I thought that So it seemed, pal. He took me by surprise, but all I had to get over was one punch. And when that was settled... Okay, let's go up and have a talk with him. If he's conscious. Ah, Sam, don't flatter yourself. You don't hit that hard. (laughs) My pal. Not by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, Professor, would you say that Sam is human? Definitely not. A species of two-legged animal. If I had my way, I... Which you haven't. Okay, we'll settle this later. Uh, Listen, Wally... Hey, what do you know? The guy came, too. Not so as you can notice it. Well, we left him on the bed. If he didn't come, too, how'd he get in that chair? Come here, Professor. What seems to be wrong, Mr. Palmer? Check him. I've got an idea. He's dead. Dead? Mr. Winslow. Now, don't look at me. I couldn't have killed him with one punch. I don't hit that hard. He is dead, Mr. Palmer. Now, wait a minute. Shut up, Sam. How can a guy tell without a stethoscope? Mr. Brooks has no pulse, and there's no action in his heart that I can hear. Let's call a doctor. I am a doctor, Mr. Winslow. My specialty happens to be psychology, but that doesn't mean that Never I Never mind that, Professor. I know what killed Wally. What's that? Poison. From this tiny bottle. Bottle? But I I don't see it. He's clutching it in his hand and... (laughs) He's got a grip on it I can't break. Leave him alone, pal. The guy committed suicide. I want the cops to find that bottle in his hand. But I've got to know whether it contains cyanide. (laughs) Come on, Professor. You should know how to flex muscles. I'm afraid it would be impossible in this case, Mr. Palmer. Why? Obviously, rigor mortis is set in. I'm not giving up. If that bottle contains cyanide, then... What you say, Professor? Rigor mortis, Mr. Palmer. The rigidity of the muscles that occurs after death. Yeah. Sam, close that door. What's the idea? Close it. I want to ask the Professor a few questions with no way out. Okay. You've got me guessing, pal. Mr. Palmer, what is the meaning of this? I'll let you know, Professor. Sam, get on that phone. Call the Medical Society of New York. What? Don't look so dumb. Ask them if they got a member by the name of Professor Caldwell. Uh, what's your name, Professor? You're very clever, Mr. Palmer. It's about time. (laughs) But it didn't take you long to get that gun out of your pocket, did it? Does it matter? Why did you kill Linda? She made a startling discovery. The checks were forged? They weren't forged, Mr. Palmer. Now, look. Oh, no. 
Oh, I see what you mean. <laughs> she signed them herself while she was under your influence. Hey, what goes with this guy? An electric chair, Sam. He's a phony psychologist, and Linda was one of his patients. Each time she came to his office, he got her just in the right mood to be hypnotized. Then he'd tell her to write a check and sign it. Uh, they were all made out to cash, weren't they, Professor? Of course. And she cast them for me while she was in that, uh, right mood. But why did you kill her? I told you. Can't but... you figure it out, pal? She accused Wally. I suppose she had the guy arrested. You think DA is a dumb? No. They investigate everybody. And what did they find out? This guy's a phony doctor. Yeah. Remind me to like you the next time we meet. Thanks. Now, Professor, about Toby. You hypnotized her, too. And you induced her to have that dream. <laughs> Why? The young lady was a perfect subject after her quarrel with Miss Barry. But how did you get to her? I took her to the door of the room and I saw her go in. She came out later. The poor child was very disturbed. Naturally, she needed attention. Dirty hypocrite. Take it easy, Paul. It's done. Yeah. You, uh... You changed your mind about Toby, Professor, when Wally disappeared. When he came back, you set him up as the perfect suicide. It's quite simple. Such an easy way out. No trial, no investigation. The suspect committed suicide. Q-E-D. Q-E-D. Well, yeah. So that's why you tried to get rid of me, Professor. I think I'll go now, gentlemen. You didn't want a private detective around while you were fixing a murder and a framer. Goodbye, Mr. Winslow. You even tried to put the framer on me. You know, Professor, that makes me mad. Really? Would you like me to put you out of your misery? I'm standing here by the door, Professor. If you want to get out, you'll have to come through me. You insist on being a fool, don't you? No, Professor. Mr. Farmer. Present. You shouldn't have forgotten about me, not even for a minute. Bad psychology. Hey, Paul, I'll take the gun. I'll take it, Sam. One more twist. That's all mine. Now, Professor... I have nothing to say to you, Mr. Palmer. He doesn't like me, Sam. Oh, I'm sick about it. Do you think I ought to kill myself? You're a hard nut to crack, chum. Okay, you take one arm and I'll take the other. We'll give this guy a lift down to police headquarters that won't be exactly psychological. Hunting we will go. Hunting we will Paul? go. Yeah? Yes, Toby? How did you decide that Professor Caldwell was the murderer? He said rigor mortis. Yes, that's what you told me before, but how did you really decide? Wally couldn't have been dead more than half an hour. Rigor mortis takes from six to eight hours to set in. Any doctor knows that. Any real doctor. But what made Wally so rigid? Hypnotism. Hmm? Did you ever see people hypnotized? Several times, but of course. Their bodies become so rigid they couldn't even be bent. There you have it. Thanks, I don't want it. Death doesn't relax those muscles. They stay that way. I still don't want it. Mm, you're hard to please, young lady. <laughs> what do you want? Would you really like to know? Mm, sure. I want something to eat. I'm hungry. So closes tonight's story, Cupid Can Be Deadly. Stedman Coles wrote the radio script. 
Roger Bauer produced and directed. Sidney Smith played the part of Paul Palmer. Virginia Dwyer was Toby Randolph. Cameron Prudhomme was Professor Caldwell. Helen Shields played Linda Barry. Larry Haynes was Sam Winslow. And Sherling Oliver was heard as Wally Brooks. Oh, I beg your pardon. Hello. I hope I haven't kept you waiting. Yes, this is a crime club. I'm the librarian. Next week? I'm sorry, we won't be here next week. No, this is the last program in the current series. Yes, we're sorry too. Of course there'll be something here next week. Racket smashers. Yes. At the same time and over most of these same stations. You'll be listening? Fine. I'll tell them to look for you. This is the Old Time Radio Hour on Sid Valley Radio. and Mrs. Ronald Coleman. Good evening, this is Ronald Coleman. And Benita Coleman. Inviting you to join us again on the campus of Ivy College. And now, the Halls of Ivy. We love the Halls. 
Welcome again to Ivy. Ivy College, that is, in the town of Ivy, USA. The first few weeks of every new college season more or less resemble a shakedown trip on a newly launched cruiser. Faculty and students must learn their battle stations. Also, it's a good thing to know how to approach the big guns, and for the big guns to clear their sights. The biggest gun at Ivy College, Dr. William Todd Hunter Hall, president, is just finishing lunch at home with Victoria Hall, his wife, former ornament of the London stage. Well, Ivy, you're not through. You hardly had a thing. Oh, I'd hardly say that, my darling. I think I can sustain myself till dinner time. I've had tomato juice, an omelet, a salad, and two and a half cups of coffee. Well, I know, but no cheese on the omelet, no sugar in the coffee. It's just bulk, no energy. Look, I've got a nice chocolate cake. No, 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 please. <laughs> no, no, not that I scorn your chocolate cake, but um, uh, this morning's attempt, and I must admit failure, to touch my piggy wiggies with my paddy waddies was a stern warning. <laughs> and may I add, darling, that your omelette was a culinary triumph. Whenever I essayed an omelette, it came out of the pan like a thin, lethargic child getting out of bed to go to school. <laughs> How do you make them so light? Well, it's a secret recipe, except that it requires half a pint of helium. Well, <laughs> how was your morning? Well, there's a rumor around the campus that a quiz kid is at large. Oh, really? Has he got a sponsor? <laughs> I don't know, but, uh, but a rash of odd, tricky, and embarrassing questions has broken up. Professor Underhill, for instance was checking a query that Professor Sterling couldn't answer, which had been posed by somebody else, and so on down the line. So what? Why does the North Magnetic Pole move around? Maybe to keep warm way up north there like that. <laughs> I didn't know it did. Why does it? Oh, it just does, that's all, and that's a question to which there is no other answer at the moment. Hmm. Of course, there were other questions which required sensible answers, such as... Uh, why don't fish drink water? That's not even a sensible question. They do. I watch them. They swim underwater and open and close their mouths all the time. They have to drink water, whether they want to or not. <laughs> uh, that, that, that's not drinking, Dickie. That's breathing. What? Yeah, the fish opens his mouth to pass water through the gills to obtain oxygen. Very little, if any, passes into his stomach. Oh. Well, in other words, if you drink like a fish, you're not really drinking at all. <laughs> Who's the poor fish who'd ask a question like that in the first place? <laughs> I don't know, but, but some of the questions are real challenges. Simple ones that you'll hear all the time and take the answers for granted. Well, I'm pleased to learn that the spirit of interrogation is alive on the campus. Our mental classes can become so cluttered that we forget to ask ourselves why. Why the sky is blue, the grass is green. Why we're here, and where we're going, and what we are, and who... And who is who? Who do you think? <laughs> I don't know, but I wish we could answer all our questions by simply turning a doorknob. <clears throat> Dr. Hall? Yes? I was told I could find you here at your home, and since this is a pressing matter, uh, uh, my name is Yates, Addison Yates. Oh. Uh, I'd like to speak to you. Well, come in, Mr. Yates. Uh, thank you. Uh, this must be kept confidential, of course. Now, this is Mrs. Hall, Mr. Yates. Uh, Mrs. Hall, how do you do? Mr. Yates, I want you to sit down. Uh, yes, thank you. <clears throat> I'm going to be frank with you, Dr. Hall, but it must not go any further. Well, it's difficult to go further with something which hasn't yet started, Mr. Yates. <laughs> uh, 
Have you a son or daughter here at Ivy? No, a mother. <laughs> and something must be done about her. Your mother? My mother. I've tried my very best to cope with her, but I seem to have failed. Dr. Hall, I want you to get rid of my mother. <laughs> really? Well, that's a rather sinister ring, Mr. Yates. Uh, you wish me to use fair means or foul? <laughs> Please, it's not an amusing situation, to me at least. Well, I, I'm trying to identify your mother. Her name is Felicia Yates. Felicia Yates. Felicia, uh, Victoria, do you... No, no, I'm sorry. But unless she's the new house mother over the uh, Tridel. She is not a house mother. She is my mother. <laughs> and a student. Oh, it's ridiculous. Why, Mother's been living with Genevieve and myself for years. She loves our children. It's been an ideal family unit. And then suddenly she announces that she's leaving us to go to college. At her age. Oh, Mr. Yates, I can't quite understand your perturbation. Advancing years do not necessarily indicate a receding mentality. But she's a grandmother. She's not a co-ed. <laughs> if she's a female going to a co-educational college, she's a co-ed if she's 106. <laughs> Face it, Mr. Yates. I won't quibble about nomenclature. The fact remains that the whole thing is ridiculous. Why, think of the newspaper stories when it leaks out. Uh, date bait at 78. <laughs> or Phi Beta Grammar. <laughs> Pictures in the headlines. And the worst part of it is she'll probably love every bit of it. <laughs> I, I'm beginning to admire this lady more by the minute. Uh, uh, what do you want me to do? Well, send her home. You're the president. Well, even so, I haven't the power to reject or expel anyone without proper cause. If your mother is already enrolled as a student here, she must have had the necessary credentials and have passed the entrance examination. I was hoping you'd cooperate with me in putting an end to this farcical idea. Well, I'm tremendously disappointed. Good day, sir. Good day, Mrs. Hall. Goodbye. Goodbye, Mr. Yates. Never was I so pleased to see you disappoint anyone, darling. Mm, I'm struggling against giving in to a first impression, especially when it was so unmistakably unfavorable. Yeah, give up. He was awful. So afraid people will laugh at him. And they probably will, starting with me. <laughs> Toddy, let's send for his mother and give her a rousing welcome to Ivy. That's a very good idea. Yeah. We'll, we'll salute the errant mother who abandoned son, grandchildren, and security and do everything to encourage her delinquency. Yes. <laughs> we'll, we'll give added support to the old observation that uh, just because there is a little snow on the roof, it doesn't mean the fire is out in the house. Sit down, Mrs. Yates. Dr. Hall will be right in. Thank you, Mrs. Hall. It was very sweet of Dr. Hall to invite me here. I've always admired him. And you too, my dear. Me? Oh, Mrs. Yates. Oh, I knew he was Victoria Cromwell. It seems only yesterday that I visited London and saw you in a musical called Much Obliged, My Lady. Uh, much Obliged, My Lady. Well, it only lasted three weeks. It was a dreadful little play. The, the critic suggested we change the title from Much Obliged, My Lady to Don't Mention It. <laughs> <laughs> well, I thought you were lovely. <laughs> Tell me, why did you leave the stage? Dr. Hall. Oh, that's a very good answer, my dear. Brief, but adequate. Yeah, well, there never was any question. Until I asked. Hmm? 
Well, I never could resist that. Yes, I'm very sorry to have kept you waiting. Why? Why? Waiting is very restful, Dr. Hall. People should learn how to wait. I know that punctuality is supposed to be a virtue. But why? Well, it's it's usually expeditious to be punctual when it means to be prompt. But if we are merely being punctilious to follow the fine points of etiquette and ceremony and for no other reason, then, of course, we can become a slave to time. Well, since you have such a sensible approach to the matter of time, Dr. Hall, why do you have classroom buzzers buzzing at such arbitrary intervals? Uh, arbitrary intervals. Yes. Let the individual instructors wing their buzzers when they reach a dull spot or finish what they have to say. <laughs> As it is, they always buzz right in the most interesting places, or else they fail to buzz while the professor fills out the hour with senseless chatter. What well, about the beautiful problem of asking all the instructors to be interesting for the same length of time? <laughs> yeah, it's an interesting suggestion, Mrs. Yates, but uh, <laughs> you are picturing some ideal institution of learning in which the eager mind is untrammeled by the restrictions of the club, in which a passage from uh, Shakespeare or James takes precedence over the passage of time. Uh, it's an attractive conception, I must say. People talk about killing time. It's time that kills people. I don't want a clock winding me up. <laughs> <laughs> when you feel like striking 12, you want to do it even if it's only 6. <laughs> Certainly. The world would be a lot more fun if both hands on the clock were the same length. That's <laughs> <laughs> That's another interesting thought. Hmm. Uh, Mrs. Yates, you're a refreshing freshman. May we say welcome to Ivy. Thank you, Dr. Hall. Why do you think I chose Ivy? You see, Mrs. Hall, I've heard your husband on the radio. He didn't know it, but he made up my mind for me about Camellia. He started me thinking again. And it's awfully hard to think for long if you're sitting in a rocking chair. So I said to myself, Felicia... If you don't want to go off your rocker, get off it. <laughs> I know, I, I know just what you mean. Whenever I sit in one, my head begins to nod, and I, I feel I should bring out my tatting, only I don't know how to tat. <laughs> oh, I love it. Why, I just finished a whole set of doilies for my daughter-in-law in my philosophy class. <laughs> About the only thing I got out of that course so far. <laughs> Dr. Hall, don't you think a professor of philosophy should know Plato's first name? <laughs> well, of course. Uh, <laughs> Plato's first name. Yes. That's odd. I never thought of it before. <laughs> Yeah, oh, I, I, I suppose it's one of those familiar things you forget because, uh, because you've known it so long. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, if that's true, at least five professors in this college ought to take memory courses. Not one of them knew. Even Professor Castle, my faculty advisor, he even blushed. But he was very nice to me. So has you been. And thank you for inviting me to see you. Hardy? Hmm, Plato's first name. 
Now, what was Plato's first name? I always thought it was Joe. <laughs> oh, you, you must be thinking of his best-known translator, Joe it. No, he, however, he wasn't called Joe either because his first name was Benjamin. Well, that makes sense. Yeah, he, he, he was born circa 427 and died circa 347. Oh, circa Plato. Well, it's a very pretty name. Oh, no, 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 Vicky. <laughs> Vicky. Circa is a, a Latin... Hey, you're wor- stalling. Come on, confess. You've forgotten it. Oh, it's more serious than that. I don't think I ever knew it. <laughs> Why, William Todd Hunter Hall, and to think that the first time you kissed me, we were standing in the shadow of Plato's bust in the British Museum. Oh, I know, my darling. That I remember. But not to know his first name. College president, a bigger bust than Plato. <laughs> later, where Dr. Hall has already spent a good deal of his lunch hour holding the telephone in one hand and his head in the other, while listening to the importunate voice of Mr. Wellman, chairman of Ivy's Board of Governors. Naturally, I'm disturbed. Addison Yates was one of my hot prospects. That is, I've been working on. I mean, he has been interested in Ivy's building fund for some time, and now this unfortunate, this, this mother of his. Are you listening, Dr. Hall? Yes, Mr. Wellman. After all, you, you must respect a man's feelings, especially when he's thinking of his mother. And, Dr. Hall, Mr. Yates is only thinking of his mother. Of course, I am thinking of... of... What did you say, Dr. Hall? There's nothing, Mr. Wellman. So, in my modest way, I have tried to mediate. I, I have explained to Mr. Yates that, of course, there are exceptions. Uh, but, Mr. Wellman, And Mrs. I... Yates, I mean his wife. Mr. Yates' wife. The younger Mrs. Yates... The elder Mrs. Yates' daughter-in-law. Her! <laughs> she is generously willing to forget under certain conditions. I mean, I, I assured him that, that you, that is, uh, a reconsideration of the situation, and so as he requested. Uh, Mr. Wellman, I don't believe... Fortunately, I... we still have time to get rid of, uh, that is, I mean, to save his mother from making a fool of Mr. Yates. And, and that is, after all, a humane thing to do. Humane, Dr. Hall. Uh, but, Mr. Wellman... I told him uh, we could meet with you at your house at three o'clock. What is it, Dr. Hall? <laughs> a waste of time, Mr. Wellman. Then let's make it two o'clock. Good idea. Goodbye, Dr. Hall. <laughs> One. Uh, Vicky, Mr. Wellman just set a new world's record for the hundred-word dash. Yeah. <laughs> the most revealing conversation from your end, about 15 eloquent, but Mr. Wellman's. Mm, alas, <laughs> Mr. Wellman won't take but for an answer. Uh, Lafayette Yates grows apace in his mind. Oh, that's not a mind. That's an outboard motor with a white moustache. <laughs> well, he, he suggested that I... Uh, don't move, Victoria. I'll get it this week. <laughs> Ah, Professor Castle. Dr. Hall. It's good to see you. Come in. Thank you, I will. Oh, Mrs. Hall. Hello, Professor Castle. I hear that your child psychology course is a big hit this year. Standing room only, huh? Well, that's not surprising, considering the increase of young married students on the campus. 
They want information and advice. Yeah. Freudian interpretations of why Willie scribbles on the bedroom wallpaper. <laughs> well, that's why I'm here, Dr. Hall. I am a faculty advisor, and I need advice. As a psychologist, I'm supposed to be able to understand problems of adjustment, but my field is child psychology, and my present problem is not a child. Could she be a grandmother? So you've met Mrs. Yates. <laughs> and I understand you don't know Plato's first name either. <laughs> uh, I also couldn't give her a completely satisfactory answer to why children have two sets of teeth. Of course, I can describe the process in detail, but I can't tell her why it happens. Well, the question why, which Mrs. Yates uses promiscuously, can only be answered really in terms of faith, opinion and belief. Has anyone any beliefs about Plato's first name? Well, that's a what question, not a why. Oh, why don't you know what? It is. <laughs> You'd be surprised at how many times I've looked in the encyclopedia since Mrs. Yates has been here. Well, <laughs> you want to know a secret? There's an awful lot in my Britannica that doesn't know. So for me, that sounds like treason. <laughs> uh, Professor Castle, uh, if you don't mind the perpetual quiz, what's the problem? I have a strong feeling that Mrs. Yates is disappointed in us, that we haven't given her as much as she expected. As she puts it, our child psychology course is like learning to play the piano without a piano. <laughs> well, there's more to the problem than Mrs. Yates. Have you ever met her son? I haven't met him, and I gather from your lifted eyebrow that I better quit. Well, I'm ahead. Yeah. <laughs> if you'd met him, you'd understand why his mother's taking child psychology. <laughs> the son is almost as interesting as the mother, Professor. She's still growing up. He stopped at age 13, even though he's a father. Mm. A childish father. A lollipopper. <laughs> oh, uh, must you go, Professor? <laughs> Can you blame him, lollipopper? <laughs> <laughs> And so, Mr. Yates, thanks to Mr. Wellman, we have a chance to prove that different points of view can often be resolved when we review them. I know that you're interested in your mother's well-being and happiness, and Mr. Wellman has informed me that you are also interested in Ivy College. Now, now, it seems to me that there is no reason why... So delighted you asked me to drop by this afternoon, Dr. Hall, because I wanted to ask you a question. Well, I, I would have been bitterly disappointed otherwise, Mrs. Yates. What is it? Dr. Hall, why is red an exciting color? <laughs> uh, why is red? Dear, 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 dear. That's a political question, William, and I'd refuse to answer on the grounds of incriminating myself. <laughs> nevertheless, <laughs> nevertheless, it's important to ask such questions, for if categorical statements, aesthetic or otherwise, were left unchallenged, there would be no advance in knowledge and no increase of wisdom. My father used to say that a, a question mark was a button hook which is thrust through the eyelet of ignorance to grasp the button of truth. Oh, I don't think I ever could stop asking questions, Dr. Hall. I listen to my grandchildren's questions, but I can't answer them because they're my own, too. Mm. 
I doubt whether the entire faculty of Ivy, plus John Kieran, FPA, and Arlene Francis could do that job. <laughs> now, but they're important questions. Each child is a Columbus discovering a new world. Mm-hmm. And we must at least encourage the venture. Yes. If our little Columbuses can't get any answers, the world will seem pretty flat. <laughs> <laughs> but I really want to have some answers for them. I thought I'd find them in child psychology. But now I'm confused. I missed something. The children. We talk about them, study them, classify them, and they're not even around to defend themselves. Well, I'm glad you've brought this up, Mrs. Yates, because it has a direct bearing on a decision I just made. I had a long talk with your son this afternoon. Addison. Uh-huh. So he did come here. And that's why you've asked me to come over. Yes, he feels... You don't have to tell me how he feels. He tried his best to discourage me when I first decided to come to Ivy. Addison is my own son, but in his case, IQ doesn't mean intelligence quotient. It means incessantly quibbling. (laughs) Well, I, uh, I, I think you underestimate him. You see, we did reach an agreement. One of my pet projects for Ivy has been the establishment of an experimental school for children, along the lines of the renowned Yale Clinic of Child Development. Your son has become interested in this. So interested that he is going to make our plan an accomplished fact. Yeah, we're going to have a school here for children, so that we'll all know what we're talking about. Why? Why, that's wonderful. But Addison, you mean my son Addison is giving money to Ivy for that? Oh, ah, I understand. So that was the price he put on my head. Well, Mrs. Oh, it's worth it. You made a fair trade, Dr. Hall, and I admire you for it. (laughs) But isn't it funny? The one thing that I missed here at college is what my son is giving you to get me out. <laughs> Who said anything about getting you out? Well, you should have seen your son's face when Dr. Hall described the importance of the part you'll play. I pointed out that this idea stemmed from you, and that both Professor Castle and I believe that you would be indispensable as chief consultant in such a school. But, Dr. Hall, I'm an old lady. I'm a grandmother. I don't know... A... Oh, dear, what have I done? <laughs> Your son was as proud as punch. You'd have thought he'd thought of it. Yes, he would be. You're both being very kind about Addison, and I'm overwhelmed by what he's done. But we must face it. Addison is a snob. <laughs> I, I wouldn't put it that way. I think that he has been genuinely concerned about you. That he wanted to protect you from some imaginary derision? No, I think Addison wanted to protect himself, Dr. Hall. He's pretty high-handed, you know. But he finally gave up. Ah, perhaps we could derive a lesson. Maybe a great many people who appear high-handed are merely trying to surrender. Yes, my love. How are you doing with Joe Plato? Or is it Mike? Oh, I hope it's Mike. Mike Plato, size. It wasn't either Joe or Mike. I found it. Where? It wasn't in the Encyclopedia Britannica. Or if it was, I couldn't find it. No, dear. It was in every man's encyclopedia third edition. And now, if you'll excuse me, I have some correspondence. Oh, no, and... you don't, bud. Huh? Well, Give. What, 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 what? Plato, you can't leave me hanging like this. If it wasn't Joe <laughs> or Mike, what was it? Um, Aristocles. 
Now, there's a letdown. Aristocles, a common name like that. <laughs> well, <laughs> now that that's settled, I have a question. Yes? Yes. What I've been thinking of for a whole week. Why is a plurality different from a majority? Um, plurality, plurality, uh, pack my bag, darling, I'm spending the night at the Y. The Halls of Ivy, starring Mr. and Mrs. Ronald Coleman. Now, here again are Mr. and Mrs. Ronald Coleman. Good night, everybody. Good night from all of us. Good night. Good night. We'll be seeing you next week at this same time at the Halls of Ivy, starring Mr. and Mrs. Ronald Coleman. Mr. Wellman is played by Herbert Butterfield. Also in our cast were Jane Morgan, Joseph Kearns, and Norman Fields. Tonight's script was written by Barbara and Milton Merlin and Don Quinn. Music composed and conducted by Henry Russell. The Halls of Ivy was created by Don Quinn, directed by Nat Wolf. The Old Time Radio Hour will be back next Sunday at 4 o'clock. We hope you can join us here on Sid Valley Radio.